0: Hello everybody, welcome back to Garden State of Hockey, another up and down week in Devils Land, mostly down. Uh, You know, the classic, everyone in the locker room is saying it, two steps forward, one step back, except this week was two steps back and one step forward. So, to help break that down and talk about everything in the world of New Jersey Devils, I'm Dan Rosell and I'm joined by John Fisher as always. How's it going, John? It goes well. Unless you're the New Jersey Devils, then it is still not so well. Yeah, and I think we're at a comfortable level of complete mediocrity at this point in the season. No, 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 no. no. They're bad, Dan. Oh, it's still bad? Okay. When you're just ahead of dead last in the
1: Eastern Conference, (laughs) you ain't close to mediocre. Mediocre makes the playoffs in the NHL. Devils
0: aren't there yet. Ooh, okay. All right, so let's delve into more of that because we came in— to last week's, or we came out of last week's podcast talking about how they had just won the back-to-back. Listen, neither you nor I were excited about this game against Boston. Nope. And the result spoke for itself, and honestly, no matter how they were playing, if I saw that result at any point in the year, I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. True.
1: But nonetheless, it just highlights the fact that and since I'm a hockey blogger and you can all have great imaginations of what I'm doing on this podcast, so you can't see what my hands are doing, you take one hand out, and say, this is where the Devils are, and then you can take your other hand and put it way above the other hand and say, this is where Boston is, and that's where you got to want to be one day. Because that was pretty much what the game demonstrated, is that even though Boston did not have Patrice Bergeron or Tori Krug, despite the fact that the Devils are coming off two wins, despite the fact that the Devils came into this game with, with some freshness, two days off, they had time to prepare, Boston basically took them to school. Mm-hmm. And it's not something as simple as Boston has a superior system or superior talent up and down the lineup, even though they definitely have some superior talent in certain areas. The big thing about Boston that I, I saw in the 5-1 loss to them is that this is very reminiscent of the Jacques Lemaire days of the New Jersey Devils, where it wasn't so much that the system was so difficult. It's just that every line and every pairing committed to that system. There was no break. There was no, oh, this pairing's just going to dump and chase and be done with it, or this group is just going to hang back and let you gain the zone. Every shift, every pairing, every line, swarm the puck carrier. Don't s- sit in your own slot and collapse. Attack the puck carrier because you know you can beat it off the Devils, and keep rolling off the cycle. That's Boston's game in a nutshell, and they decisively – defeated the New Jersey Devils 5-1. To, to the point where it was just demoralizing, Dan. <laughs> Even after the two wins, you're, yeah, you, and, you, I, and a lot of people thought this was going to be a loss, but there's a big difference between a loss and just getting your butts whipped for the better part of 60 minutes by a superior team. So basically any goodwill and good feelings that came out of that back-to-back set a lot of it was a race because it was just a harsh reality
0: of, yeah, this team is really good, and you are nowhere near really good. Mm -hmm. And you know that mentality of just sticking to the game plan, the aggressive forecheck, rolling all four lines, uh, that's something that it feels like the Devils haven't had, to be honest with you, you're not going to love this, but since the 2012 playoff run under Pete DeBoer, that was really the last time it felt like all four lines were on the same page on this team, which is crazy to think about.
1: And there have been some nights where everything clicks for the Devils and they look dominant. I mean, let's be real; everybody has those games where everything looks good. But Boston just pounced on the Devils. The there are very few fo- positives you could take from the game. Nikita Gusev got a goal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Hey, the Devils scored a goal against Boston this season, so woohoo! <laughs> uh, you know, at some point it was close for a little bit. It was actually looking like maybe a potential winnable game. It's only down 2 one after two periods, which in my opinion, hey, you just need one good shot, one good shift, one good period. You take the game. Boston immediately went out there and said, yeah, here's a power play goal. Yep. Here's another goal from Grelshnik. Yep. Here's a Connor Clifton seeing eye shot. Yep. That's the game. Roll everything up in a trash bag, throw it out the window, you know, <laughs> thank you. Good night. Here's another L.
0: Yeah, I feel like we didn't really exactly go out on a whim last week, as we did record before the Boston game, but I'm pretty sure we mentioned that Posternak and Martian would be all over the score sheet. And as they are every <laughs> game, not just against the Devils, but against everyone, they were all over the score sheet. Yep, and again,
1: guys like Matt Krelsnick, he had two goals, which were great goals for him. He's not one of the star players on Boston, but just like uh, those past Devils teams I just referenced, definitely one of those character players that supports and provides important depth for the roster. And that's what makes Boston a better team than most of everyone else in the Atlantic and a team that could probably hang with the Carolinas and the Washingtons and the Metropolitan, if they were in the Metropolitan. Cause again, Bruce Cassidy has his team set working as a unit up and down the lineup.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something that's sorely lacking. So that game <clears throat> Of course, did not go the way we would have liked, but... Not at all. There was a chance at redemption in a another weekend back-to-back, and they went in to Pittsburgh. Yep. And again, managed to score one goal. It's actually worse than that, Dan. Oh?
1: So, the the Penguins played the night before this game. Mm-hmm. So the game was on Friday. The, the Penguins played in Brooklyn on Thursday night. And they lost in overtime to the Islanders. It happened in the final minute of overtime. So think about this. Pittsburgh, they lost in overtime in their own house to the Islanders on Tuesday. They go to the Islanders' house on Thursday. And they take 64, 64-ish minutes to end up with another loss. And yet, despite the fact that the Devils came into the game with two days off, time to prepare Time to practice. Time to even sit down and watch that Penguins-Islanders game to see, like, hey, who maybe is is doing well, who's not doing well. The Penguins looked fresh as a daisy from minute one against the Penguins. Maybe the first couple minutes were okay for the Devils, but before you knew it, the Devils were being outshot like something crazy, like Mm 11-3 in the first period. And Mackenzie Blackwood was doing his very, very best to try to keep it close, but... The Devils were just completely outclassed in that first period. It was a bad first period. They ultimately were and en- they ultimately ended up getting outshot eighteen to six. Highlighted when Dominic Cahoon just went around a diving Murko Mueller that was sliding into oblivion as Cahoon de- danced into the slot and put a backhander back past Blackwood. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is bad. The Devils look crummy when they shouldn't. There was some hope though, Dan. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Hope, in the second period, for the first ten minutes, the Devils had a carryover power play and Taylor Hall actually scored a goal. He scored his first goal in nine games. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was a good goal. He sure set him up. Hall finished it past uh, Tristan Jerry, who had a very good night in his own right, and the Devils went on to put up a ton of shots in the second period. They finished the period with 20 shots. Keep in mind, that the last Devils-Penguins game last week, they put up 21 total. They put up 20 in the second period only. However, One bad pinch by Andy Green opened up the doors for a Jenny Malkin to spring Jake Gunsell for a score, which he did. So you're down 2-1, but you're thinking to yourself, okay, the Devils were great for 10 minutes of that period. They suffered a little bit in the second, but they ended up being even. It's 2-1 again. 2-1 is winnable, Dan. Yep, absolutely. 2-1 is totally winnable. What happens? Yet another night where the New Jersey Devils come out. They play like they just witnessed a puppy or a kitten dying. And Pittsburgh just rolls right through him. Jared McCann, granted, Blake Coleman may have been high sticked on the play. Yeah, so Coleman was high sticked on the play, but the puck was loose and the Devils were completely out of sorts because anytime the Devils have the puck in their own end on the defense, apparently, for any breakout, two guys have to go up ice, leaving guys alone. So if it doesn't get out, <laughs> you're outnumbered already. Uh, and it ends up with Jared McCann putting it back in the net. 25 seconds later, John Marino sends in a long shot that comes off the weak side goes through a little bit of traffic, beats Blackwood, and for the first time, the first time, Dan, since the first game of the season, we see a goaltender change. Uh That's right. All the great goaltender play that we have seen in the other 20 games up until this one, Hines was fine with keeping the guy in the net unless he was injured. But this one, apparently, Blackwood had to go, Louis Domingue came in, and the Devils just put a half-hearted effort in to try to make the game close, but at 4-1, the game was effectively done. The, the Penguins cruised to a victory. Cruised, Dan. So it wasn't just, oh, they lost 4-1 and it was pretty bad. Oh, no. This was yet another night where the a third period was just awful for the Devils. It was a yet another night where the Devils had an advantage on the schedule and failed to take advantage of it. It was yet another night where the Devils were in a winnable situation and found a way to lose it and lose it big time that made everybody feel as miserable as possible. Something about Arby's, insert it there. That's your game.
0: Yeah, that was the uh, the continuing theme of, first of all, the atrocious third periods. I believe you had something on this this week. Yes, on Monday I had a whole post about third periods, and I'll touch on that when we get to the, th- the third game of the week. Mm-hmm. So – you know, again, they were undone by their third period. And the Blackwood substitution, I kind of see where it was coming from because he had been in a lot of games in a row. So at 4 1, you kind of think, okay, maybe it's not worth keeping him out there just because this game feels out of reach. And also, he's been pretty much overworked, I would say. But. Yeah. I don't think or it was a as much. Of other in... game... oh, there were ahead. a lot
1: of other games where you could have done that move and for, justified it.
0: For sure. But it was. uh. Build up of how many games he had played in a row, I think, that contributed to him actually pulling the trigger on that, because as we've seen with Hines, even when the game's out of reach, he doesn't really switch things around too much, he's just going to let the guy ride it out. So this was more of a, maybe a fatigue factor playing in, and also getting Louis Domingue to see some pucks before he goes in the next day and starts. True, and he did do exactly that. He started the game against
1: Detroit which I think a lot of people would have expected since this was the game for last place of the East, Dan. Mm. (laughs) Detroit was the one team the Devils have been ahead of uh, all week in the standings, uh, thanks to Ottawa figuring out how to play hockey. Mm -hmm. So this was very much a a game for last of the East. And Domingue played very well. Uh, Not that Detroit put up a lot of pucks. Detroit really showed that they are a bad team. And they lost Anthony Mantha during the game, too, which is one of their better players. Right. So they were already shorthanded um, by the time the game was going. But Deming was very quick with his glove, very good with his pads. And on a couple of those plays, he had to be good. Like It wasn't like Detroit just threw up junk for 60 minutes. There were some actual tough saves there. What was surprising about this one, Dan was that, once again, the game went into the third period, and this one was tied at Mm
2: 1-1.
1: And Jonathan Bernier for Detroit, he was having a very good night, despite the fact that he's had a pretty bad season. Like, worse than Blackwood, better than Schneider, but still a bad season. Yeah, that sounds like a classic Devils opponent. I just have to throw that in there. Right, the Devils were having all the quantity, but they didn't have the finish. It finally happened in the third period for the first time this season, Dan. 22 games into this season, Dan. The Devils have won a third period at home by more than one goal. Oh, my God. The only other time the Devils have went into a game where they were tied going into the third period and won the third period to win the game outright was back in November against Carolina, and that was the only other time it happened this season. The Devils have one of the worst records going into the third period with a lead or even tied, but for this one night... The Devils were actually dominant in the third period. Granted, there was a little controversy. I honestly thought that uh, the game-breaking goal was kicked in by Kyle Palmieri as I saw his leg sweep forward and the referee nearby waved his hands literally 20 times.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But upon further review, the puck went in off of a Detroit skate and therefore that goal stood. And then Blake Coleman got a pass from Madison Bowie, who, mind you, was a Detroit Red Wing, and roofed one up over Bernier to make a 3-1, Detroit decides to pull their goalie super early, Hall gets an empty netter, and then in the final minute of the game, Blake Coleman just presses through the Detroit defense and beats Bernier for a fifth goal that made everybody feel a little bit better, that the Devils are not the worst team in the East.
0: Yeah, and uh, you never want to celebrate not being the worst, you want to celebrate being the best, but at the very least, if you participate in the toilet bowl, you better win. Absolutely, And and I for one was pleased with the win, Dan. I'm pleased that the Devils
1: actually dominated a third period, not just in the score, but also in the run of play, because there have been many games where the Devils would dominate the run of play, but they would find a way to lose, whether it's bad goaltending, bad turnovers leading to goals, bad penalties, you know, you name it. This time, this one night, the Devils identified that this team was lax in their own end. Madison Bowie was absolutely terrible. The Devils picked on him a lot. Jack Hughes didn't have any points, but my goodness, did he undress so many Red Wings that night. I am I was almost afraid that we were going to get an indecent exposure, <laughs> fine given to the Red Wings. You know, the Devils just kept pressing. If anything, there could have been more goals in this game. Wayne Simmons had a couple great shots that didn't go. Travis Zajac had a glorious uh, takeaway, uh, but he was denied at the crease. Like, there were multiple, 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 multiple chances where the Devils could have just really ran it up on Detroit. But ultimately, a 5-1, you can't be unhappy. I was pleased. I didn't feel like I was wasting my time. I was still fearful after that third period where you're just going, oh, no, it's 1-1. Detroit could just have one good break, and who knows if the Devils are going to score. We have no idea, but they did it. So, yeah, I can understand why a lot of fans weren't super happy about the game because, yeah, you beat Detroit, like big whoop. But you got to take your wins where you can get them when you're as bad as the Devils this season.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So I was pleased with it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's something that if there's any chance to stay alive at all, you have to beat the worst team in the conference. That's a given. And they failed to do that as recently as last week at the time. So it's something, I guess. It's just weird to think about being too thrilled about it, given the efforts that they put forward against one of the best teams in the league and then followed by, one team that is significantly depleted coming off of a back to back game where the Devils just really couldn't muster anything up at all. No, exactly.
1: And unfortunately for the Devils, if they want to have a real chance of getting back in this playoff picture, they got to find a way to at least get results or at the very least look competitive in these games. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would have been a lot less hostile about the situation with the team if the Devils lost to Boston, let's say 2 1 or 3 2 or. If the Pittsburgh game went 3-2 or, or, you know, the run of play was a little more even in that third period. It wasn't like, here's two quick goals and Blackwood got the hook. It's all right. Here's what happened. It is what it is. And you move on with your life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But again, you know, those games featured bad third periods. They featured a lot of bad play before the third period. Right. And and combined with the devil's record and their run of form this season, you know, ain't nobody happy about this team and they shouldn't be. I mean, nobody expected an 8-10-4 team going into Thanksgiving week. You and I, I have said many times, if the team fall, fell flat on his face, I didn't think Hines is going to make it to Thanksgiving. And lo and behold, it looks like he's going to enjoy a turkey dinner. Well, he's going to enjoy it on Wednesday or Friday, but he's going to enjoy a turkey dinner as a
0: member of the New Jersey Devils organization.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, what are they, where do we move from here, basically, is... My question to you, with the schedule looking the way it does coming up, and again, we're recording this on Monday, so we're not going to encompass the Minnesota game that's taking place tomorrow upon release. I, I don't know. You, like It feels against Minnesota, away at Montreal, and against the Rangers at home, followed by what will be encompassed next week anyway against the Sabres. On the road in Buffalo, where they were horrendous in the second game of the season, what are we looking to gain here? I feel like we're past the point where we can be satisfied with, you know, they need this many points out of, they need at least half the points out of these contests. They need to get probably at least 75% of the points available here.
1: In a theoretical world, you are absolutely correct, but unfortunately we live in a practical world and we have to deal with the team that we have.
0: Right. Honestly, I
1: would take this approach of one game at a time, as cliche as it sounds, because ultimately, you know, how you perform against Minnesota is going to impact to a degree how you're going to play in Montreal and how you play in Montreal is going to impact how you play against the Rangers, our hated rivals. And then following that, you definitely do have a real tough schedule where you got two back to backs to start December, as you mentioned, Buffalo, Vegas, and then you got Chicago at Nashville. And that Nashville game starts a four-game road trip that takes you to Nashville, takes you to Dallas, who has been really hot as of late Dan, uh-huh. They're not they not the 1-7-1 team that started the season. They have some crazy point streak almost as high as the Islanders. And then they got Colorado, Arizona back-to-back, and that ain't easy for anybody. So, you know, they have a real tough run here that they really need to make this week count. Because, in theory, Minnesota is one of the few teams that's almost as bad as the Devils, if not maybe a little worse in some ways in the third period than New Jersey. So, you know, that's a game that, in theory, you want to take. Montreal, the Devils have proven they can hang in Montreal, mm-hmm. uh, provided that, you know, Philip Deneau or no one else wants to have their magic thighs, uh, you know, try to make a goal happen. But that's going to be a tough game in general because Montreal's not a bad team, and I have a sneaking suspicion the Devils are probably going to see Carey Price yeah. instead of... Uh, Keith Kincaid. Whoever, Keith Kincaid, which, you know, that's going to play a role. Watch, watch your head, Paul Palmieri. The punches may be coming again. Yeah, seriously. The pugilist, the pugilist <laughs> may be the starter on Thanksgiving night. And then our hated rivals. That game is already a rivalry game. The Rangers are feeling pretty good that they're not as, despite rebuilding, they're not doormats of the Metropolitan Division. Uh, they're not in any serious contention for challenging for a title uh, title uh, playoff spot. But the Devils are going to have to pass the Rangers at some point if they want to get to where they want to be. And it's a rivalry, so you never want to lose those games. Oh, and the Devils decided to add a degree of difficulty to that game, Dan. Yeah. Uh, A degree of, I guess, psychic or uh, mental... Psychological. Psychological. Thank you. That's the more appropriate term. Psychological difficulty, which is they're going to wear their heritage jerseys. You know, the ones the Devils haven't won in years. (sighs) Because anytime you have a very important game on what could be a very big crowd since it's, you know, the sat- it's a Saturday afternoon, it's right after Black Friday, lots of people in the area for families still with Thanksgiving. You got to throw on the jerseys you don't succeed in, uh, the jerseys that the team has never won anything of significance in, and go out and play your hated rivals who are looking at every opportunity to basically take you down and yet another peg in a terrible season.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just got to. Dan the as good as they are we talked about this before you know we started recording but as good as they are on jersey retirement nights they're that bad on heritage jersey nights for some reason I don't know if it's a mental thing or anything but it should be the matchup too I mean they
1: usually do it against Philly or Pittsburgh and those teams haven't exactly been bad teams recently either Mm -hmm.
0: it's entirely possible but it's still with the results going the way they have they haven't even pretended to come close in any of these games as far right. as I remember. I mean, they've played more than a few Heritage Jersey games, but I never remember thinking, okay, cool that that game went the way it did in a game where they were wearing those jerseys. They, This is always the feeling I get. I always feel so confident every time I hear there's an... Uh, after the first two or three every time i heard there was a jersey announcement or a jersey retirement ceremony okay mark that down as a win on the calendar for some reason when the legends are in the building and not actually working for the team like marty bordure is now they do well and when they're not and they're trying to harken back to the devils of old they play like the devils of old and really don't put up much of a contest and get walked all over. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen this time around against the Rangers. But you're right. This is a very, very crucial week. And if we're talking about Christmas as the benchmarker for the Hall pivot point or Hall decision pivot point, as well as the pivot point for the trade deadline in general, do you move guys like (coughs) Wayne Simmons? Do you move maybe an Andy Green if you can find someone for him? He's still a very good penalty killer. But if the Devils are out of it, could they get some value for him as well?
1: Well, these are all the big questions that they have to answer. And, you know, as it currently stands, the answer to to it is yes, 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 and yes. Because there's no real value of holding on to pending UFAs um, unless they've already talked to you and said, look, I want to stay. I want to be around for another year. So, you know, you have to listen to all offers as they come. But getting back to your original question, Dan, in terms of what do they need to do right now, ideally, if they could sweep this week. (laughs) <laughs> then you know everybody will be feeling a lot better even though that's not likely at all i did pose the question on the all about the jersey uh twitter feed uh back on sunday uh a quick poll 306 people responded so not exactly a huge response but it's a response i asked how many games will they win out of these three and the uh plurality said two mm-hmm. uh roughly 33 percent said two 32% said one, 24% said three and an 11% said zero. So I think the expectation from the fans is that they're going to win one to two of these. The harsh reality is that they want to get back into the playoff picture, jumping over the Rangers. That's a bit four point swing right there. Taking Montreal down another peg would be very helpful. And I'm sure Florida would help, you know, be very thankful of it. Um, So that's that's really the goal. Unfortunately, the Devils have put themselves in this position where they need to get results almost all the time.
0: You know, you can't take hot L's over and over again. You just can't afford it. Yeah, the biggest issue is that they haven't won more than two games in a row this year. They have not managed to string together a win streak of more than two games at any point this season, which is not going to get you anywhere. Even if you win two out of three, if you do that over the whole season, that's one story. But with the way they started, it's not feasible anymore. So No, it isn't. No, it, absolutely not. It's the kind of thing where you better start stringing them more than two at a time, or you're just going to fall behind because, again, with the division snapshots that we're seeing, everyone else just keeps winning or getting points. It really feels like every single game involving a Metropolitan team goes to overtime.
1: Yeah, and the way the schedule works out this week, it's especially troubling because the Devils unfortunately have a Thanksgiving Day game, Mm -hmm. even though the NHL is called the Boston Rangers game on Friday, uh, the NHL Thanksgiving showdown. The real Thanksgiving game is really on, you know, it's going to be in Montreal. It's going to be the Devils in (laughs) Montreal. They're playing literally on Thanksgiving. But the Devils are playing Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, whereas most of the division is playing today, as we're recording on Monday, Wednesday, the 27th, and a lot of people are playing on the 29th. So the Devils, unfortunately, have to witness more points being earned by teams that they really should be hoping they don't get points again. And it gets more problematic when those teams play against each other. Columbus has a bunch of games within the division this week. So guess what? Their Columbus failing may help the Devils in the short term, but it's going to be even harder to catch up with the Pennsylvania teams uh, later down the line. Because guess what? They got those extra points in November,
0: and that's, also, unfortunately, that's 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 the situation the Devils are in. The the Crosby led Penguins are always a completely different team once the calendar turns as well. They, you know, he's injured right now, but he should be back around that time. And they're another team that could potentially compete for one of those elusive spots that they need to watch out for. And you can't go into Pittsburgh and just drop games the way in the manner in which they did if you expect anyone to take you seriously. So there's a lot to worry about from a uh, Devils-making-the-playoffs-for-being-successful perspective. Again, in the grand scheme of life, you know what's really going to happen to any of us if they don't do well? But I like to think that at some point the switch is going to turn on there's just hasn't been any sort of indication that they're mentally prepared to do that and that'll lead us to a, a lot of the back half of the podcast i believe i just wanted to bring up um one more thing about these couple of games just perusing through the numbers looks like whatever was making nikita goose of an absolute black hole has been mitigated for the most part which is a very good sign for someone that they're paying four and a half million a year to for this year and next
1: well, truth be told, he finally learned some lessons about how to play off the puck. It's not just the combination of who you play with. In the NHL, you're responsible for your own job. Mm-hmm. You're responsible for your role. And Gusev literally was not helping on defense, and he wasn't helping m- enough on offense. There are still many plenty of times where he's trying to make passes that just aren't there, or he's trying to force shots that aren't there. He's not really realizing that the NHL defensemen are really that good at closing you down and making you react faster than you really want to. But Goosev has settled down a lot of the nonsense off the puck to be more of a contributor. And that's a good thing, because as you said, not only is it does it help the value, but the Devils honestly just need more pl- people to play well. Mm-hmm. They just don't have enough people playing well right now. So yeah, Goosev over the whole season, his numbers are still crummy, but... It's not as
0: it's not as disastrously crummy as they were, say, at the end of October. Mm -hmm. And another thing, just as a shout out for CJ, uh, Blake Coleman is coming along to be a pretty solid winger. Well, he has been a solid winger. Mm -hmm. It's not new.
1: He's pretty much the definition of a solid second slash third slash occasional fourth line, you know, guy who can help out in a lot of different areas. Like he is more than earning his one point eight million per year. He is very useful. He can get a couple good bounces. He'll occasionally dazzle you with some skill that you didn't expect that he would have, like that roof of a backhander he put up and that uh, breakaway, well, sort of breakaway he had against Bernier, his two goals against Detroit. <coughs> Sorry. the um, He's been doing well. Um, he's definitely had some rough nights earlier in the month, but... It's good to see that he is back to his scoring ways and his more useful ways. And if the Devils are going to continue to get results, they need guys like Coleman to keep it up just as much as they need guys like Gusev to step it up.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, so that's this week in contest for New Jersey. We'll be right back with some questions and some talking points about whatever happened around the team this week that wasn't directly on the ice. So just a brief pause here, and we'll be back in a second. Okay, and with that there's a couple of stories floating around the devils. A couple of things happened this week and of course we neglected to mention that they won against Detroit on a hockey fights cancer night where they honored um what was her name? Grace. I don't Grace. Re- I don't remember her last name. It's we're talking about Grace. Yeah, we're talking about Grace, and it was good to see them uh, do that kind of outreach. It was good to have her sign with the team. I think everyone was a little bit pumped up because of that. And the Devils, even with Brian Boyle not on the roster, continued to do great on Hockey Fights Cancer Night. So at least that's a point of pride. So just wanted to make sure we brought that up before we move too quickly onto the next thing. Um, and the next thing would be that Tom Fitzgerald has vacated the bench. He's gone back up to the assistant GM role full time. And this experiment was supposed to hold the players a little bit more accountable, help out ah. the coaching staff a little bit. Ah. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I hear you have some thoughts on this. And how how do you think his time behind the bench were there any noticeable differences or was it something that's more of the same and they realized it was more of the same so they're just sending him back
1: it's more of the same Mm -hmm. like he's been behind the bench for a month and yes the devils have won some more games but it's not like tom fitzgerald as far as i know did anything in particular to make that happen i mean the devils have still come out and blew some pretty big leads they still had some pretty bad third periods which is one of the big issues plaguing the team all season and the Devils have went into games where they had an advantage in rest, had an advantage in time to prepare, and they come out and come out lamer than I don't know. Pogs are Pogs lame, Dan? Yes, they are. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm stating that Pogs are lame in 2019. That's the type of bold opinion that I'm giving. is this this really Pog going on a limb there. <laughs> yeah, but the fact. But more seriously, I have zero idea what his contributions were, other than just to be like, yeah, I'm representing management. I'm behind the bench now. It's like, so so what? Was this like a month to see if he wants to be an interim head coach was this a month to just really just hang out and this notion of he was there to assess things you don't need a month to assess things like it's not like the devils only play like one game a week like i i mean i, I immediately am drawing a blanket to exactly when he joined the bench but if he started by the arizona game or after the arizona game that's let's see one game in october then one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve twelve games In November, you mean to tell me you needed 12 games and a handful of practices on top of that to know what the team is doing? Like, I'm really confused. The the decision itself, I I could have bought that, all right, management is showing that they want to, you know, put a little muscle behind the bench and let Hines know that, and the staff know that, hey, guys, you got to pick it up. But (laughs) the Devils are still bad. They're still near last in the East. They're still... Behind everyone else in the Metropolitan, so I don't know what his benefit was, and I don't know why they're deciding now of all time to send him back. Yeah, I mean, you could have done you could have done this after the road trip, after the Vancouver game, and and at least that you would have said, all right, it was after the road trip, we think we got this, and then
0: you know the Devils would have gone off and blew a third period lead to Ottawa. That was my biggest question about this move happening right now. I don't really understand the timing of this at all like what do they say like mission accomplished you can leave or is this kind of like okay we haven't seen enough improvement we're kind of giving up on this coaching staff is that more of an indicator of that or is it like a is it Tom Fitzgerald coming taking notes on what he's seeing and then reporting back to Ray Shiro from yeah, like an intimate distance but you can do that at any point i yeah. just i just don't <laughs> really get why they would remove him now unless there was something specific said i don't i don't really know for all
1: we know it may have been something as simple as tom said yeah i've seen enough there's no need for me to be here mm-hmm. it could be something as simple as there's no need to do this anymore it could or even it could be just personal maybe he's like hey i'm going to be somewhere else this week there's more important things i got to do so i don't really need to be here mm-hmm. it could be something as simple as that that being said, it is a it was an odd decision to make to begin with, and it's an odd decision now that it's ending. And unless the, the this is, again, a sign that Fitzgerald could be an interim head coach in the near future, I don't quite understand why
0: it lasted a month. Yeah, and he, I know he's interviewed in the past for vacant GM positions. Yeah, he wants to be a GM. He doesn't want to be a head coach. So I, I'm not sure why any of this is happening now, but... That's just the news of the day. That's basically what has gone on, you know, off the ice. Besides the Corey Schneider demotion, which we talked about last week, and the Louis Domingue promotion, also, uh, Brett Sini came up from Binghamton. He was the B-Devils' leading scorer at the Mm -hmm. time of his call-up. And his place in the roster kind of comes at the expense of a couple of guys we thought would be more mainstay in Jesper Bratt and Pavel Zaka.
1: Yeah, for the Detroit game, Zaka and Brat were scratched for John Hayden and Brett Sini. Now, Sini, I can you can make an argument make sense. As you said, he was Binghamton's leading scorer, and the Devils in their scoring woes, and their offensive woes. You know, it's not the worst idea in the world to see, okay, look, Sini, you've been p- playing hot in the, in the AHL. Let's see what you can do. John Hayden, on the other hand, ice, there's no need to put John Hayden back in the lineup. If, if you're having issues on the ice, John Hayden will not fix any of them. Neither of them played badly against Detroit, but not a lot. Neither of them did anything of real note. I mean, Hayden yes got it a, a secondary assist, I believe, but so what? It's a secondary assist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it, it's more. I, I think this was, this contributed to some of the bad feelings after the win is that, as you said, Zaka was playing well. Granted, he he played badly in Pittsburgh, and Bratt was totally invisible in Pittsburgh. So it's not like they didn't earn a night off, so to speak. But I can understand why fans are going. Wait a minute. If you're not, if you're thinking these guys need something to get going, something to get confident in, and you're not going to play them against one of the worst teams in the league, precisely how do you expect them to get your confidence back? Right. You know, I mean, we saw Hughes dance around these guys. Zajac was stealing pucks from these guys. You know, what do you think Brat and Zaka could have done to these guys? I think the other source of the frustration is that since the Devils won, you know, the old, you, you know, the old standby for coaching in the NHL, Dan. Hmm. If you win with this lineup, that means you don't change the lineup. Right. Because clearly everything worked. So oh, there's a good my. chance the Devils are going to go to this Minnesota game uh, with John Hayden and Brett Sini playing again. And again, Sini, I can understand. I'm not mad about that. It's Hayden and more importantly, the, you know, the sitting of Zaka and Brat. Of course, if you had to put both of those guys back in, if you take out Hayden, you got to take out someone else. And if it's not Sini, it's probably just for Boakvist, and then people will be unhappy about that. So the lesson here, Dan, is you can't please everyone. Never try.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and this is one of those situations where if he wants to play all those guys, he wants to have Hayden in. He, you know, the fans would like to have Boquist in. Really, the only way to get the combination of those four guys in, Sini, Hayden, Boqu- or I guess Boquist, and then some one of Bratton Zaka's if someone gets injured. That's realistically yeah. the only way we'll see all of them at once because everyone else is eating too much money to be scratched or has already been scratched and probably won't be scratched again, looking at Nikita Gusev. Yep. Um, so that's really the the main news, and you're right, I'm hoping that it doesn't end up being, oh, this lineup worked, let's just run them out for a few games, let it happen, but uh, who knows? Who knows at this point anymore? I just know that it's very, very important that they find some sort of winning combination soon, and also, when they do find lines that work, they're not immediately shuffled. Well, that's, that's, I don't think that's really
1: a big problem. I, I think that's an overrated problem. Well, it's just they because they haven't had the,
0: lines that worked.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's mainly it. It's like, yes, you know, in theory, some lines would work and, and would be nice to see on paper, but the devils have one of the worst team offenses in the NHL. So mm. clearly they're not working. Right. And, you know, so all you can do in a game is change them. Like there's only so much you can do in a game. Um uh, but you know, Dan, this is a nice jumping-off point for some of the questions that we have received from mm-hmm. our glorious listeners. So I asked on the All About the Jersey Twitter account, you know, for questions before the show, and I received four responses. Three of which are about the coach. Aha! So they, they all kind of run together here. So we'll, we'll, let's let's try to address all three of them at once. So the first one came from Damien Shaw, even though his Twitter handle is Gabriel Rasputin. Okay. Which is it, Damien. Are you Damien or are you Gabriel? I mean, they're both nice names. I don't know why you got to hide it, but <laughs> Hey, you do you man. Anyway, his question, if Heinz does get fired, who do you think replaces him for the rest of the season? And who would you like to coach this team in the future? So that's the first coach related question. Uh-huh. The second coach related question is from Jersey Scott, uh, who we answered a question in the past said, since we're going retro, he's referring to the heritage jerseys. Uh, that's exactly how I feel about those, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, can we call in Larry Robinson? <laughs> which,
0: which I'm not opposed
1: Yeah, I'm not opposed to it. He'll, he'll, I'll answer that one immediately. Larry Robinson, at the very least, could uh, earn his money by sitting Miles Wood down and saying, All right, Miles, what you're doing is not hockey. I played for one of the greatest teams in the history of the game. Let me show you how to play hockey. And no, <laughs> you don't shoot from the sideboards on a rush. <laughs> Okay, there's my Larry Rob, my terrible Larry Robinson in person.
0: Well, I feel a... like Larry Robinson could be relaxing on a beach somewhere and remotely coaching the team, and they'd still do a little better. True. I mean,
1: Larry is very much a teacher. You don't with Skype, you don't have to be in the office. <laughs> Although you can't. Although there's a lot of value to face-to-face time. Let's be real. No, yeah, but and... that guy's earned as long as a vacation as he wants. Well, true. <laughs> anyway, and the third question related to coaches comes from a guy with the Twitter handle of hashtag Fire So. You could take three guesses about how he feels about the coaches, yeah. but he does want to know how do you feel about the Fires Hines movement? I didn't know there was a movement. Um, do you, but more, but he has actually some questions, legitimate questions here. Do you have any? <coughs> excuse me. Do you have any insight into what would cause one man to change the line so much that no one has the opportunity to gel? Well, I just answered that question, right. so we won't touch that one. Is our system optimal for our player base and most relevant? How long of a leech? does Heinz have okay so Dan that's three questions not entirely serious but some of them are and they they represent the people Dan yep and let's be real it's the elephant in the room we've been talking about this quite a few times on Garden State of Hockey we've talked coaching but now let, let's get down to brass tacks I know I've said for a while that if the team falls flat on his face I don't think that he's the head coach by Thanksgiving but it's looking like he's going to be the head coach by Thanksgiving mm-hmm. so clearly I'm wrong again but I'm a hockey blogger, and unlike other hockey bloggers out there, I'm willing to be wrong. So, that said, let's answer these questions, starting with the first one from Damian. Let's say Heinz does get fired, Dan. Who do you think replaces him for the rest of this season? And who would you like to coach the team in the future? So there are two separate questions here.
0: Yeah, and I think that the only answer is that you'll get two different answers for those questions. I think correct. At, yes. at this point it would be very difficult to find someone who would not only – because the reason you would change your coach is if you still think you have any sort of shot at this or you want whoever you want taking over next year to get an early start and get adjusted to this team. I think they're going to be in that weird middle ground where they think they can still compete. They might switch things up, but then whoever they hire out, which I'm going to be honest with you, I have no idea who's who they could find for this. I I've been saying maybe Ken Hitchcock, and please do not speak to me about Babcock because the only things I've heard is horror stories, and the fragile mentality that the Devils players have displayed this year would not mesh well with the Mike Babcock. I know a lot of people like the whole concept of yell at them until they're better, but I don't think that would be beneficial for a team where, if they are very bad, then they trade a lot of pieces away, and all of a sudden they're left with a bunch of young, impressionable guys who... Wouldn't need someone like that. They would need someone who is better at you know developing these players out. And we saw Babcock with so much talent in Toronto not win a single playoff series. So I don't know why people are saying that he would be a good fit. I've, I've been seeing that take as well. My well, it's, very, oh, well, it's very much name recognition, Dan. Yeah, I mean he's a name.
1: Yeah. And let's 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 talk about the real elephant in the room here. He would get a ton of money. If he comes to New Jersey, the way it works for coaching salaries is that there's no double dipping. Mm -hmm. So if the devil, let's say he does get hired by the Devils, the Devils will have to take on the remainder of his contract, as I understand it, or whatever they do decide to pay him. He'll still get like a fraction of the money from Toronto for his current deal. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So you're going to since we're talking about it, because the other thing is that Toronto paid a lot of money to bring in Mike Babcock. Yep. A lot of money. Like way more than like I want to say three John Hineses. So to that extent, he's almost cost prohibitive. Even if he turned out to be the nicest guy who ever niced in, in the game of ice hockey, he's just too expensive. Yep. So that's I think a bigger reason why he's not going to be considered at all. I, I it's think... a lot of money to spend on a guy, even if he even if you wait till next season, it's still a lot of money for a guy who probably ha-
0: is going to be able to call his own shot for next year. Yeah, absolutely. He can. There's going to be teams, you know, these stories can come out. Mitch Marner can say that he <laughs> basically just rookie hazed him. And I don't think there are, you know, owners and GMs that would shy away from that. But I don't think it should be the Devils. And I don't believe that Ray Shiro has any sort of pre-existing relationship with him that would kind of make him, you know, more inclined to pick him. Now, what I'm kind of weirdly selfishly hoping for is that Nashville continues to fall off they get rid of la violette and then maybe he would be an interesting choice as well but that's just a recent thing that started up now that they've gone on a bit of a losing streak and i think they find themselves out of the playoff picture right now okay
1: well i will agree with you that uh the answers to the questions are going to be two different people i fully see that the the devils do fire hines and at this current rate they will fire hines at some point At some point, you just got to throw up your hands and say, this isn't good enough anymore. Mm -hmm. It's going to be an interim head coach. Now, the interim head coach, the Devils actually have some interesting internal options because typically with an interim head coach, you give it to an assistant, and you have Rick Kowalski, who is the head coach of Binghamton, so at least a number of the players are familiar with him. If you really want to, if it's just literally interim to... Right out the season, I guess you could survive Ellie Nazradine doing it, even though <laughs> I don't think he's good enough to be an assistant head coach. Um, Claude Noel is a pro scout with this team, and he's a former head coach in the NHL. Mm-hmm. So they could call, they could look at their scouting department and say, hey, any of you guys want to be a coach again? And they could do it, is it on an interim basis. So they're not completely bereft of options internally. If it's just, take care of the next three to four months, And, you know, let the season play out as it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the only way they would go outside of the organization is if either they need to go outside the organization to secure a a man's services or if they, as you said, really believe that they could still make the playoffs and therefore they need somebody with uh, more legitimate experience that isn't an assistant or a scout right now.
0: Well, that's what worked for the Blues last year. They had Baruby waiting in the <laughs> wings, who was, mm-hmm. you know, someone with NHL head coaching experience. They fired Mike Yeo, switched to Craig Berube right around the new year. And that's when things started going well for them. I just am worried that the Devils may be too far out of the picture by the time that they make a change like that for them to be able to salvage anything and might make the mistake of, you know, kind of gumming up the works in terms of hiring the next coach and maybe saying, okay, this interim didn't work out this time, but let's give him another year instead of let's just start fresh. And the big factor in this as well is that that person has to, if they have any sort of chance of re-signing Hall, it might be someone that carries from interim to mainstay head coach. Well, forget about Hall. Okay. Hall's not part of this discussion. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And more importantly, I think this is something where the Devils and especially ownership, in my opinion, needs to put their foot down and say we need to do what's best for the New Jersey Devils,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not Taylor Hall. It's not the New Jersey Taylor Halls.
0: No, sure, but he's but the, still it, anyway. a points leader. He's still you know the yeah, but, pivot point of the team.
1: Right, and and everyone and their mother is saying the guy's going to be traded before you know tw- July first, twenty twenty. So mm-hmm. it's kind of moot at this point.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in any case, to answer the Damian second part of the question. Here's an interesting option for the future. Bruce Boudreau, mm-hmm. the head coach of Minnesota, he's in the final year of his contract. And Minnesota is not going anywhere. And it's not an accident that on our SB Nation fan polls, uh, poll, which polls uh, NHL fans uh, around the league for various questions around the league, and many of them have pointed to Boudreau being the most likely to be have been fired first. Heinz uh, came second in that poll, by the way. Oh, okay. And it's, it's, it's a combination of Minnesota not doing well, but also they have a new GM who didn't hire Boudreau. Boudreau's in the final year of his contract, and Minnesota's not looking like they're going to contend for anything. So it's almost like you might as well just cut the cord now. And not that I, you know, I have to do a little more research in terms of whether or not I would like Boudreau to coach this team, but if you're looking for an option for a guy who's already not getting paid by someone else and isn't Mike Babcock...
0: You could do a lot worse. Yeah, is he gets a lot of flack for never winning Game 7s, and his track record in those is absolutely brutal. But But the Devils have to get to a Game 7. (laughs) Exactly. Like, in order for him to lose a Game 7, they have to participate in a Game 7, which is not something they can say they've been a part of in a very, very long time. Not since 2012. So if it gets them there, then... I have no issues with it. He's someone yeah. that is interesting, but it seems like the time in Minnesota has significantly been soured. Uh, and they've also had a lot of turmoil in the upper management level as well. So absolutely, yeah. there's a lot of things going on where, you know, Fletcher is making the most bizarre trades that do not help his team at all. And, you know, what's any coach – with the roster moves that they had made over the last couple of years, he would have a hard time, especially since the two guys that they're paying a ton of money for are very frequently injured.
1: Yeah. And Bill Guerin now has to clean up the mess. And I'm sure Bill Guerin has his own vision and that vision is likely not going to have Boos Boudreaux in it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a coach, what do you do?
0: And 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 that's not to say that, you know, these are just options of coaches with some NHL experience, but there are uh, coaches elsewhere that, could potentially get their shot uh, to to have an NHL head coaching gig, much like Hines got his here. And I'm not saying that that's the best option for a team like the Devils and where they're at now, (laughs) but we don't know what that search is going to look like. So whether or not there are any readily available NHL-experienced head coaches around, there could be a situation where they go after someone who's you know, coaching over in Europe or doing something else like the Sabres did with Kruger, which has been up and down, but at the very least, they're more exciting. It's something that there's a lot of different options if you don't keep the interim coach through next year.
1: Right. So let's let's change. Let's change uh, tracks here a little bit. Mm -hmm. So so the Larry Robinson question, you know, Larry Robinson's not going to be an option. Yeah. Like, you know. I I like Larry a lot. He's super knowledgeable about the game. He would be a great teacher. But no, it's not happening. As much as I like to see Jacques Lemaire come out and say, hey, these guys are out of shape again. That ain't happening either. Well, because he's doing great. He's flying as a member of the Islanders staff now. Well, yeah, there you go. You know, Lou knows things anyway. So let's answer Fire Hines' questions, (laughs) (laughs) you know. So, again, we already answered the question about the line changes. As far as the question, is our system optimal for the player base? The answer is no. No. (laughs) No, it is not. Uh, No offense to to him. I mean, it's a fair question, you know, know, to ask. Like, is this working? And the answer is no. It's not been working. The record not only shows that, but the team is heavily out-attempted across the season. Um, The only metric that looks somewhat positive for the Devils is the expected goals model. And anytime you only have one metric that makes you look kind of okay and five others that say you're not very good, I
0: wouldn't start trusting the one over the five, Well, and it's, as tempting as that is. It's been this way for years, too, but the system was developed when they had a dearth of talent or a myriad injuries that, you know, they had to basically play something where they limit high event games, where they live at high danger chances. And it's a completely different makeup of this team. This is a team with actual skill and talent that's being told, let's just turtle up and hope for the best. And, you know, then couple that with both goaltenders not playing well at all. That's a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah.
1: Add in ineffective special teams, add in not finishing your few chances that you are creating. It's, you know, again, the style of play that, that, that Hines is running, the system, so to speak, has, can be functional in theory, but in actual practice of this season, it's not been. So, no, it's not the best best system at all. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, a big point in favor of, yes, even if the Devils go out and win all three games, if you still want to say Hines isn't the right guy for this team, I can't say you're totally wrong. Mm-hmm. So let's answer the last question here about Hines. And then we'll move on to the, the higher-level question I have, the fourth question. Mm-hmm. How long of a leash does Hines have? Again, I thought he'd be done by
0: Thanksgiving— That's not looking like going to be the case. How long do you think he lasts? I've said Christmas, but I can see a scenario where if they're that far out of it, it's the same mentality that Hines has for goaltenders um, in game where, listen, it's lost anyway. Why bother doing this now? They just let him ride out this season and kind of, you know, take him out the back after the season ends and say, all right, thanks again. On to the next guy. I don't know if they'll necessarily jump to make a move just because the logistics of it are a little difficult if they're that far out of it. My biggest fear is that they're in this weird middle ground where they can't make a decision one way or another, but I'm going to stick with my original um, check-in point of Christmas. All right, so...
1: In retrospect, I should have done a little research to see exactly when McLean was fired. I know it was around Christmas.
0: Yeah, it was December uh, 23rd. I think I looked this up okay. the other day.
1: All right. Fair enough. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the Devils were off that day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they played the night before. I want to say they might have or maybe on the 21st. The point was is that they had a couple days off to make the change. The Devils only ha- have a three-day break. After their four-game road trip in December, which is the 15th, 16th, and 17th, they're off. They, they play Arizona on the 14th, they come back to New Jersey, and then they host Anaheim on the 18th. If you think that a new coach is going to need three days, which would mean the Devils would have at least one practice under this new head coach, interim or otherwise, that somewhere in that range may be the ideal time to do it. The thing is, is that I get the suspicion that with Fitzgerald now leaving, For all we know, Hines is a dead man walking, like Mm -hmm. one bad loss, another blown third period, another big lead lost. Um, That could be curtains. So for all we know, you know, if the Devils blow the Minnesota game. And I hope they don't.
2: Mm -hmm. I hope I hope
1: in retrospect, you know, as you guys listen to this on Wednesday, you know, I I don't get to be proven right here. But, you know, it's entirely possible, you know, we could see some cuts uh, on the 27th. But I think if you're looking at logically where it could possibly happen, I'm going to say the 15th, assuming the Devils do not really improve. If the Devils go on a sc- you know on a tear of wins and score lots of goals and they look, excuse me, they look much better, they win that road trip, then Hines will be safer for much longer.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, any sort of coaching discussion is moot if the team is winning, with the exception of Robbie Ftorek. Well, there were some extenuating circumstances sure. in that case. Right. And and that's that would be the the weird outlier for that reason, but yeah, exactly. If they go on any sort of extended run, if they manage to sustain some sort of decent level of play for more than two games at a time, then that'll fix a lot of issues both from a confidence psychological perspective and really keeping Hines off the hot seat, but there's no reason that he should be off of it. Because even when they're winning sometimes, they look significantly worse than the other team. Yeah, I mean, that
1: Detroit game, yeah, they won 5-1, but that was on the strength of their best third period of the season. Well, the Penguins win then, last week. So. Yeah, or, yeah, that one, where it's basically, well, if the goaltender plays like a Vezina candidate, hey, the Devils have a chance. Yeah, must you know, be nice. Yeah, well, you know, expect a little higher. Okay, <laughs> let's get to the fourth question here. Sure. So this comes from Mike Whitehead. And this is an interesting one, because mm-hmm. it's not about the coaching. It's not even about
0: management. (laughs) And it's not about Hall. No. So it's really interesting by default already. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm sorry for all the
1: coughing here, people. Are the Devils owners too hands off in the day-to-day operation of the Devils hockey team to force a coaching change? Because they also own the Philadelphia 76ers, the Crystal Palace soccer team, and Blitzer owns a minor league baseball team. Are they spread too thin to deal with the adversity when needed? That is a very good question. Uh, I would like to. I, I'd like to give a give a thought. Yeah, go before. ahead. Get into the. Maybe maybe this will help your your thinking about the question. Mm-hmm. My personal opinion is that owners are at their best when they are mostly hands off, because owners will tell you, for the most part, that they are not the general manager. If the owner thought they were the general manager, they wouldn't need to hire one. Mm-hmm. And yes, some guys are definitely hired to basically be the quote-unquote puppets or just basically the yes-men for the owners, like Pierre Dorian or whoever is the GM of the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Jerry Jones. Yeah, well, there you go. The fact of the matter is that, truth be told, the owner has the final say here because they're the owner. They own the team. The buck stops with them. They are giving out the bucks. So it's their way or no way. So to that extent, since most of the time, owners are not necessarily – in tune with sports, they're usually out too busy making money in the many other things that do that make them, you know, make them filthy rich. Like able to own teams. Like to the point where they able to own multiple teams like an NBA team, an English Premier League team, a minor league baseball team, and an NHL team. Yeah. You know, also some eSports stuff. I'm sure they have other ventures. Mm-hmm. Also, they own the Prudential Center. You know, there's a lot... Of, they got their fingers in a lot of pies, Dan. Mm-hmm. So to that extent my opinion is that I don't really want them involved in a lot of affairs other than to give a green light on financial decisions Mm because it's their money. That said, to answer Mike's question here, this is actually an interesting, interesting question because you know, you got to think if you're Josh Harris or David Blitzer, you agreed to bring on PK Subban and his salary. You agreed to 5 million for the one year of Wayne Simmons. You agreed to Nikita Gusev for 9 million over two. You agreed to the Heinz extension you 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 presumably no you did give a green light to Nico Heesha's extension, and you presumably you have a number to play with for Taylor Hall's extension, if he wants to. So that's a lot of money that they've worked with over the last you know several months in 2019, Dan. Mm-hmm. You you can't tell me that they're not looking at the record, going, I thought we were going to be a playoff team. What's going on here, Ray? <sighs> Yeah, so, you, you say so, that, so but – okay, keep, keep so, going. So to that extent, I think Mike might have a point here in that they may be – because they have so many other ventures, they're not as concerned. But that being said, that in of itself is not a concern. I don't think – I I this is sort of like I don't want the devil I don't know. I don't know if Josh Harris or Dave Blitzer would be great guys in terms of uh, making per- coaching decisions or decisions on a coach. Right. That's why they got Ray Shero. That being said, I could totally understand if they're calling up Ray going, guys, we're 8, 10, and 4. What the hell?
0: Yeah, I can see them getting involved from a, okay, give me a progress report and what's the plan here perspective, but I definitely don't yeah. want them making any sort of decisions. Like The only reason I know uh, certain owners in sports, and I think a lot of the ones that end up going mainstream, are for negative reasons. They're, yeah. they're almost too involved. I mean, you look at, we were talking about... Um, who dorian we're talking about, oh no sorry melnick we're talking about melnick all the time yeah. uh we're talking about james dolan constantly in the news cycle and with the knicks, I, with the the knicks but that's the point exactly he's very involved and hands-on and he cares a lot about the basketball team and they haven't been good in two decades meanwhile the rangers had a pretty good run of success and he's been pretty laissez-faire with them so well, he's also he was also told in the 2000s to get away so well exactly. they, they, because he was nixing them right so when you have someone like that kind of taking over there's a lot of ego at play for people who tend to make that much money i think they're very proud of their investments and they want to do well but it comes at the cost of maybe they don't know what's best from the actual sporting perspective and they can have people whispering in their ears but it's not someone who has been around the sport for a extremely long time it's not someone who knows the intricacies and ins and outs of the sport the same way that someone coming from it would have so i don't really want them getting involved with the stuff i do want them checking in and you know asking for any sort of progress and a plan i want them to hold people accountable but i don't want them doing that with the players themselves i think that has to come from more of a hockey mind because again you're as a player, you're going to listen to someone tell you how to do your job and to do your job better. And as someone who has never done it before, I know you know, from personal experience, when there are managers that never had to do the same role that you did, but they're telling you how to do the job, you tend to not really appreciate or, I don't know, for the most part, respect what they have to say because they haven't been where you are in the same level of trench. Now, Ray Shiro was not... And, you know, NHL player, but he's been around the game. He grew up as the son of another legendary (laughs) general manager and uh, and player, too. So he has the credentials that he needs. And I think he's the top dog when it comes to all hockey stuff. And you don't really want to mess around with having multiple voices, multiple authoritative voices, because then you kind of get pulled in different directions. It becomes even more chaotic than it is now. I, I would right. rather see them stay away, but again, these hockey contracts that we're talking about, they don't even hold a candle to any of the basketball contracts they've given out over the last couple of years.
1: True, but that's also something that more people, you know, especially among the Devils fans, are realizing. You know, The Sixers have been bringing up the process, the process, the process, and
0: precisely what has it gained the 76ers? Well, I mean, they Not have a lot. roster that actually looks competitive after
1: yeah, being after... very
0: bad for a while exactly
1: and, and one fears that that may be the plan here but at some point especially in the nhl especially in this market you got to get results at some point well, you know you, you can only survive rebuilding seasons for so long
0: the process and doesn't work the same way in the nhl though. that's the
2: that big too. issue that,
1: that's the other that's the other thing like it doesn't work that way in the nhl it's not like but we're not going to get into that no that, that's kind of beside the point the point is Getting back to Mike's question is, mm-hmm. I don't think they're spread too thin to deal with adversity. I think that is actually a benefit in disguise. Mm-hmm. That being said, to your point, Dan, is that I fully anticipate, I fully expect that these guys are checking in, and it wouldn't surprise me if sometime in the near future, they just call up Ray and say, hey, Ray, look, give us a plan either to that things are going to get better, or give us a plan about what's going to happen with the coach here? Cause something's not working here mm-hmm. and they're in full within their
0: rights to do that. Cause again, they are the owners, right? I would rather see them not involved. I think is the main highlight of just to wrap up my entire section of that. I, I would rather them <laughs> have their interests spread out elsewhere and let the hockey people handle the hockey things. Because yeah. once again, we, we usually only hear owners names if they're notorious for either being problematic or getting too involved with the team to their detriment. That's why you hear names like a Jerry Jones. He makes controversial statements all the time. You hear Dolan making controversial statements and banning people from the arena. You hear, you know, I mean, Donald Sterling. We don't even have to relitigate what happened with him. So, again, Melnick. Melnick, There's your hockey example. Right, Melnick. And uh, how many other NHL team owners do you know if you're a casual fan? You hear Melnick because he's in the mainstream news all the time, but there's not a lot of other NHL owners specifically, unless they're you know, cross-sport uh, interests like Harris and Blitzer are, where you'd hear them in any setting outside of an NHL one. So I think there's a reason for that. I think there's definitely merit to keeping the business people doing the business things and the hockey people running the actual mechanics of the sport but it is a fair question it is something that they they have a significant investment in this they have very good reasons to want them to be good so yeah check in see what's going on and again if you don't like the plan that shiro's putting forward they're in full control of having him around too
1: okay so those are the questions that we had for this uh, show from mm-hmm. Twitter. Thanks to everybody involved. Apologies if I botched your name. I don't think I botched hashtag Fire Hines, but, yes. you know, I'm a hockey blogger. I can make mistakes. You know, it happens.
0: Oh, yeah. We were asked about the movement, too, weren't we? Uh, well, there's not really a movement. <laughs> well, there's no movement. Like, the only thing we've ever heard is that he's on the hot seat, and then they gave him, you know, there's no imminent firing, as we heard a couple of weeks ago. And... Yeah, Listen, this not... no amount of Twitter but... activism will get a coach fired. I'm sorry. No, you, you can bring
1: all the banners you want. You can waste your money on a billboard. You don't have the juice here. Yeah. So spend your money more wisely. Hey, Black Friday is coming up. There's some sweet deals out there. Games, clothes, kitchen sinks, <laughs> uh, you know, printers, ink cartridges, pens, you name it, it's gonna be on sale. Spend your money there. Or maybe don't spend your money at all. Save it. Invest it. You know, store it away. <laughs> Start a retirement fund. Those yeah. are more, more valuable things than the fire heinz movement.
0: Yeah, sorry folks, you're not getting the coach fired. It's just not yeah. gonna happen. So You really you really didn't will Nikita Guzev
1: into existence. So you're not gonna unwill Heinz out of existence. Right. Yes, unwill is a term, I whatever well now it is it doesn't
0: it doesn't matter the point is still the same all right i think that uh is a packed episode for sure a lot of disappointment as usual but we've come to expect that in the garden state of hockey until it gets good again but thanks again for all of your questions really appreciate you guys listening and reaching out and we'll look ahead to this week we'll be back Uh, Like we said, we're recording before the Minnesota game on Tuesday, recording Monday night, and hopefully they get a result there because, uh, as we said before, they need it. They have no choice anymore. So we all got our fingers crossed. Let's keep cheering on the guys. And, yeah, everyone listening, have a great rest of your day. And try not to uh, let losses get too much to you because, again, at the end of the day, it's just sports. Have
1: yourself a very good Thanksgiving.
0: Ooh, very true. Happy Thanksgiving to you and all your families. And for all of you that have chosen to be Devils fans, that's that's extra for your families as well, as long as they're all on board. Now, if you have a situation where you're the only one in your family, enjoy your blessings. Take the three uh, Lifetime Likely Cups and call it a day as your entire Ranger fan family mocks you for this year. Or your Flyers fan family. True, depending on where you are. In our great state of New Jersey. All right, thanks again. I've rambled long enough. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll catch you next time.